0: Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Lavi Ajayi Jones, is an activist, culture critic, a world-renowned lecturer, TED Talk Phenom, a blogger at awesomelylovee.com, host of Rants and Randomness podcast, and owner of her own social platform, Love Nation. Her first book, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual, is a New York Times bestseller. And her new book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, is reviewed in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. The review is by Tequila Burt. So, Lovie, it is a delight to have you on Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, you know, I read the review, I read the book, and I watched your TED Talk. I very rarely do that, but I, I did for a couple of reasons. I wanted to just get more of a sense of you. And then when I saw that you came in well under maximum time allotted, I thought, oh, this woman is very much on target. She can do it in less than 11 (laughs) minutes. I forget what they give you at TED.
2: I forget. I I think they even gave me, they might've probably given me 12 minutes.
1: Yeah. You came in under the the wire. And yeah, I remember doing one and they have that big clock that counts down or, you know, you got to watch out and they're going to just give you the, the hook if you don't end on time. I was, I was very impressed. You know, in, in the TED Talk, you introduce yourself as a professional troublemaker, which is the title of the new book. And of course, it's an intriguing term. I love the term. And I really want to spend the 20 minutes we have together unpacking the idea of a professional troublemaker. Let's just start with definition. So what do you have in mind when you say that?
2: I think a professional troublemaker is a truth teller, is somebody who feels deeply responsible about elevating the rooms that they're in. That if they're there, they're going to be proud of what happens. And that means they might be the person saying what feels tough, but is necessary to ensure that the room remains something that they're proud of. They're not contrarians. They're not haters. They're the person who's sitting at the dinner table during Thanksgiving who points out when an uncle makes an acutely inappropriate joke. The other person who sits in the meeting who says, hey, should we rethink this idea for a campaign? Because I don't think it's that thoughtful. The other person who's like, hey, friend, you hurt my feelings. And I really think we need to have this tough conversation. So professional troublemakers are necessary.
1: Necessary. I get that. And truth teller. So it's, it's. I mean, first of all, it sounds like you don't get to an, invited to a lot of family dinners with your uncle, but- <laughs> It's like, um, this is a question, but it sounds like to me that a professional troublemaker slash truth teller is like the kid in the fable, the emperor has no clothes that just sort of tells you what's true. And while well, everyone else is gaslighting themselves and, you know, their, their yes. neighbor, how do you yeah. know what's true? Is it objective truth or is just true for you?
2: A lot, you know, we can debate truths all day, but it's truth for you. But I think there's also there's some things that are just culturally true. And there are some things that are humanly true. If you want to actually be on the good side of history, you know, there are certain things that you can say that we can all agree that "Mm, that's not appropriate. There's those types of truths. But there's also, also truths that's like, hey, you said this thing that hurt me. And I think professional troublemakers are the people Who are in the society saying, Hey, I know everybody thinks this is a great idea, but I don't. And I think about our world as we live in right now. We live in a world that is a product of professional troublemakers, people who think that things should be different or easier or more efficient. You know, I think about the fact that we can fly. There are times when I am on a plane, like in a plane, and I'm like, I'm in a tin can that's floating through the sky. It took somebody the audacity to be like, hey, maybe a train is not the fastest way to get from place to place. Maybe there's something different we need to do. And that's basically what professional troublemakers do. They point out what can be different, what can be changed. And then oftentimes they take action to go towards it.
1: So they're not just critics. They're also creatives.
2: Yes, they're creatives and creators.
1: Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, you
2: don't just exist to point out the problem you say, I'm going to be a part of the solution. That's a professional troublemaker. You don't just complain, you move.
1: Right. So I want to take issue with something you just said. Maybe I'm just more pessimistic than you are. But, you know, you said the world that we live in is created by professional troublemakers. I think the world that we live in is created by people who would love to never know the truth. That, that the troublemakers are troublemakers because we don't wanna know what they have to say.
2: That's actually a really good point. That's a really good point. And to your point, the dumpster fire that we live in is because of people who've ignored troublemakers, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think when we find our world in a space where we're just like, how did we get here? Well, there is a series of actions that we have taken to silence the dissenters and the challengers. We have spent a lot of time telling people that their voice isn't needed or necessary. We've spent a lot of time marginalizing the, the, the challengers who can get us to the better world. So yes, you are actually correct. When we find ourselves in the dumpster fire and, and look around and say, we're not proud of what's happening. My question's always, who knew better? Who knew that they couldn't speak up or knew they would get punished if they did? We spend a lot of time silencing the dissenters that we need when we need to celebrate them because we need to see that they are of value having people around you who will tell you what is true what is real what is honest they're not nice to haves they're must haves otherwise you find yourself in all types of chaos which we have found ourselves in
1: yeah absolutely let let me ask you this the way i'm hearing you is we're talking about people you know like yourself uh, who are professional troublemakers in the world what about an I don't even know if this is true, but I'm putting it out there. What about the professional troublemaker in your head? Like the, mm. the voice in your, you know, like we have multiple voices in our heads. I don't mean split personalities. I mean, you know, the critic and the, the right. all, you know, all those different voices that uh, Sagioli <laughs> talks about in his uh, uh, psychosynthesis with all, these, with all these different personalities in your head. Do you think people have the professional troublemaker archetype talking to them all the time in their heads about their lives?
2: You should. The voice in your head that's telling you that you're not enough or that you can't do something, that voice is a hater. That voice should be interrupted by the troublemaker voice that says, no, 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 we're not going to listen to that voice. We are going to show up and be audacious. We are going to take up space without apology. For me, the professional troublemaker who gave me the permission to do that, who was kind of Who I was looking to was my grandmother, who I write about in the book. Her presence in my life was a model of what it looked like to take up space without apology, what it looked like to be fierce, but still soft and kind, and what it looked like to allow myself to be celebrated. And she was kind of the one who gave me the permission to be this bold person. You know, that voice in my head that tells me I'm not enough, I got to look at her and be like, nope, nope, clearly I am because of how she showed up and how she carried herself in the world. That voice in our heads, we need need to interrupt it with the troublemaker that's saying, you know what, don't listen to the fact that if you are a marginalized person who is living at any type of intersection, odds are you're fighting against a lot of things that are basically rooting for you to fail.
1: Right. Right. So, I I mean, I'm I'm glad you brought up your grandmother because for a number of reasons, you can tell us more about her if you like, but she modeled and nurtured your inner professional troublemaker. Am I right about that?
2: Very valid, accurate.
1: So, two questions. One, was there someone I don't know how to put it—the anti-grandmother? Was there another person who modeled and cultivated the inner critic, the inner hater, in in your life?
2: They didn't stay in my life long. <laughs> you know, st- kids at school were like my inner hater. When I came to the United States from Nigeria and I had this strong accent, the kids made fun of me. And for the first time in my life, I felt othered. I felt different. And for me, my culture is something that's so close to me and everything that is about me. But because I already had nine years of being proud of who I am, the kids' voices and whatever they were saying was not enough to diminish me. And I think, you know, Again, the gift of my grandmother, of my mom, of just having strong women around me who affirmed me is they gave me permission to be myself. They never told me to not be this girl. They never told me to not be this person. And that quiets any type of voice that's in my head because I hear their voice louder.
1: So you interact with a lot of people. And I'm wondering if your experience suggests that not, just using your grandmother as an archetype in a sense, that, that maybe most people don't have a person in their life when they were young, let's say, who could help them develop the professional troublemaker and just hear that, that hater voice, the diminishing voice. Do you run into that a lot?
2: Yeah, there are a lot of people who are like, whoa, that's so different from my experience, which is why I show up in the way I show up, which is why I wrote Professional Troublemaker.
1: Yeah, you're trying to be their grandmother.
2: Yes, like I'm. I'm, I want this book to be the permission slip, the thing that tells you you absolutely can do this. And yes, quiet that voice and replace it with this one that that tells you that you're absolutely you have the right to be audacious, no matter what margins you live on. You know, if you've never been given the permission to be this person who takes up space without apology, who uses their voice for the greater good, I want you to be that. So you were right. You know, I think about how. We all know somebody who is older, who is very stately, who commands respect by just walking in a room. There might be a mom, an aunt, maybe a grandmother, an older sister. But I'm wondering, why do we have to wait till we are grayed to have that energy and that audacity? Why do we have to wait until we're 65, 70 before we can say, you know what, I do belong in any room? that I find myself in, therefore my voice, my, my voice is necessary in those rooms.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, so, so what in your work with people, I mean, if they haven't had that and this voice, even if the voice is there, but it's soft, it's in the background, it's easily over, it's easily silenced by the other negative, by the negative voice. How do you get them to become a professional troublemaker? What, what are a couple of things that somebody might do besides go out and buy the book, which you should do? Um, what would you suggest?
2: So first you fake the funk. Okay. <laughs> first, you act like you're bold. And what you do sometimes, it just means writing on a piece of paper next to your computer and looking at that thing that you write down every day. So even if it's like, I am enough, or I should speak up, Put it next to your computer just so your eyes can fall upon it every couple of hours. I think that's powerful. And then two, honestly, seeking out people who are also bold. They might not be people you know in real life, but even if you can follow bold people on social media, it starts normalizing the idea for you. It stops becoming such a foreign thing. The thing about humans is we are pretty simple. We can be peer pressured into doing things. So we usually talk about peer pressure in the bad. Oh my God, somebody got peer pressure to drink. No, like I think we can peer pressure each other into showing up in the way we should. So follow some bold people so they can start making it look like it's
1: easy. So that's what you try to do on your social media site, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, I just show up as myself.
1: But you're encouraging others to do that as well.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So And I use myself in this, as an example because I'm a Black woman. I'm an immigrant. I have many reasons to not be bold. The world has told me many times I don't deserve certain things I have. So if I can be bold, I'm like, hopefully it inspires somebody else to say, all right, she's trying it. It's working for her. So let me try it.
1: What do you think is the obstacle when people are trying to become professional troublemakers? How do they sabotage themselves?
2: Fear is the main obstacle because whatever we're afraid of, rejection, failure, success, being humiliated, disappointment, whatever that thing is, we will usually let fear stop us from doing or saying what we're purposed to do because we will think about the worst case scenario of the situation. And in that process, we build up fear and build it up into this major dragon that needs to be slayed. So then we will opt out of whatever the best case scenario is because we're afraid of the worst case scenario that might never come. It's why people won't ask for a raise or a promotion. Oh, I don't want to hear no, I'm afraid they might say no. Okay, if they say no, you still end up in the same place. But if they say yes, it could shift your financial life. So our big fear is that we're afraid of whatever catastrophe that we think is possible, but it's not likely. So then we don't do that thing. And I'm always like, listen, that worst case scenario that you build up in your head It's Listen, just slay the dragon. It's not going to happen. And if it does happen, can you still live? Will you lose everything? Is it going to be apocalyptic for you to lose that thing, whether it's the job or that friend? How does it really affect your life? And then put it
0: in perspective. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26 at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from. Brittany says reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: So yeah, we just have to really stop letting the fear be this major monster.
1: Yeah, I'm confronting the fear. I, li- I like your dragon slaying metaphor. So a professional troublemaker is now two things: a truth teller and a dragon slayer. So that that yes. that sounds that sounds good to me. Now, what's what do you think the purpose is? So I'm you know I'm overcoming my fears. I'm I'm enough. I'm I'm in this room. I'm going to be heard. I'm going to speak my truth. To what end? What's the bigger picture? that you're trying to accomplish when you have the army of dragon-slaying, truth-telling, professional troublemakers?
2: Yes, I think it starts in the personal. Because we haven't gotten the practice to tell the truth in the small moments, we don't have the language in the big moments. We don't have the muscle. Truth-telling, fear-fighting, dragon-slaying is a muscle and we have to practice it in our personal lives and then we can take it out into the world to try to figure out how we can make the world better in it. I think it's all connected. You know, people think about fear fighting as if it's just in the big moments. No, no, it's in the small moments in having a tough conversation with your husband or your partner or your friend, you know, understanding that you're going to be afraid of those times. Also, you'll be afraid of the times when you have to challenge a system or a policy or a person. So I think it's all deeply connected. You know, our ability to slay dragons that are personal to us, will absolutely affect how we can slay dragons outside. And for me, I'm always like, well, you can't really have courage without fear. The absence of fear is is not courage, right? I think the absence of courage though, it it leaves us, we lose, we lose. So know that being afraid is a natural first step. You already got that part done. (laughs) We all have that part down. But don't stop there do not let the fear stop you from doing whatever that thing is and that's why I think fearlessness means not doing less because of your fear
1: yeah if there's no fear, courage is irrelevant correct right so you don't really want to be fearless you want to be fear different <laughs> you
2: know? Yes. Right? You, want to increase- you want to be fe- you want you want to be fearless and fierce and move fierce. anyway act oriented right, fierce right
1: right? Uh, I forget who wrote the book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. But, but I, like, I like switching from fearless to fierce. Let me, let me ask you this, and I don't exactly know how to put the question. When we talk about the truth teller, if it's done by men, it's oftentimes not truth telling or professional troublemaking. It's overbearing and you know, the patriarchy in, in, you know, inserts itself. And what, what's your sense of the difference between, if there is one, maybe I'm just projecting, but between men and women in this search for your inner professional troublemaker?
2: Yeah, the troublemaking is, is a disruption. It's something that is not expected, something that is not given power typically, something that is not given privilege typically. So for men, professional troublemaking might look like stepping back ah. for a woman. Making sure a woman's voice in the room is heard, that is troublemaking for them because, you know, to use your power in service of somebody else, I think is professional troublemaking. You know, even me, if I'm in a room and I am the professional troublemaker, sometimes how I make trouble in the room is by stepping back and yielding my power to somebody who has less access than me. It might mean I'm in a meeting and I insist on being quiet that day so everybody else's voice can be heard. It might mean I'm calling out, hey, intern, I want to hear what you're you're thinking. So I don't dominate the space. So power and privilege shift. And I have to make sure I'm using mine in ways that honors just not just me, but the people around me. So to that point, men can make trouble by stepping back and saying, you know what, I will give the space that I typically I am given to somebody else who is not.
1: I would think that, one of the ways to look at this from a man's point of view is that the the power and privilege that just sort of comes with masculinity, and in, in my case, I would say even more so with you know white masculinity, that that's a dragon that needs slaying, and that when that voice raises its head, it's not a troublemaker; it's the dragon saying, "Let me burn this, yeah. burn these people down," because yes. I know what's happening and you, and the yes. troublemaker says hey dragon you know shut up
2: <laughs> yes well the dragon says you know what i'm going to i'm i'm going to chill on the fire today i'm just actually going to sit here and watch you know so the dragon slaying of it all our dragons are always different
1: yeah that's that's right
2: our dragons will always shift fear will always shape shift even after you conquer one dragon you'll have another one to slay right but don't build don't create dragons that don't exist you know, don't build fear up into this thing that is the reason why you don't take an action that matters. And I was telling you before we even started how, for me, my TED Talk that now has millions of views was a big dragon that I had built up in my head. How so? You know, I, I thought I wasn't ready for it. I turned down that TED Talk twice. Wow. Uh, because I was afraid that I was going to get on the stage and bomb because I had a really busy year. And I was like, I don't have enough time to prepare for a whole TED Talk because it's a whole process. They give you a coach and make you rehearse and you get your script and it's a whole thing. And I, I was afraid that I wasn't ready and I turned it down twice. And then the third time that it was brought back to me it was three weeks before TED. And I was about to turn it down a third time because I was like, that's crazy. I'm not doing the TED Talk in three weeks. I have to come up with a whole new talk. Who has time for that? who can do that? That's crazy. And I remember calling one of my friends and she said, what are you afraid of? And I was like, I'm afraid that I'm going to get on that stage and bomb. Because I was like, everybody else has already had their their talks ready. They've already had their coaches. They're clear on what they're going to say. They know what they're going to do on that stage. And I am being brought in at the last minute and asked to do this. And my friend said, everybody's not you. She was like, you're afraid of bombing, but you have the practice. You have had the coach because you're on a stage every three days on a, at a different speaking engagement. You've been speaking for eight years. I think about that dragon. I had thought about this TED Talk as this major milestone, this mountain that I had to climb. And I almost missed out on the opportunity. I almost said no to a yes opportunity because I was afraid and I... Did that talk, and it transformed not just my life. It's I've gotten thousands of messages over the last three years from people who watched the TED talk, and it impacted them in some way. I saw a message from somebody who said it helped bring them out of their depression. Wow! So, and I think how often have we let fear stop us from doing the thing that could transform our lives for the better?
1: So, let me just encourage people who have not seen it to uh, go on TED and. And look for Luffy's presentation. It really is excellent. And now you know what dragon she had to slay in order to do it. It'll just add. I'm going to watch it again now and <laughs> see if I can see the smoldering carcass of that dead dragon. <laughs> as you do this, I want to ask you one last thing before we, because we're really running out of time. But you have these three questions that you ask yourself, and and I guess you mean people should ask themselves before making trouble. And I think they're really important to just. I'm going to read them to you and then you can unpack them any way you want. But I think this will be important for people that you're not just going out there saying, this is my truth and I don't care about anything else. I mean, you, you have these three guidelines for saying things. The first one is, did you mean it or do you mean it? The second one is, can you defend it? And the third one is, can you say it with love? So tell us a little bit about that and then we will wrap this up.
2: Yes. I like to quantify my decisions, turn your decisions into a math problem. And it actually makes it less complicated uh, for me, creating this framework, this, these questions help me not feel impulsive. It helped me make sure that I'm coming with the right intention. And I'm not just saying something because I feel like hearing my voice or making chaos in a room. And it helps me make sure I am mitigating risk and showing up in the way that's that I would be proud of. So do I mean it, right? Is this something I actually believe? Can I defend it? If I get challenged on it, can I stand in this thing, right? And then can I say it with love or thoughtfully? So how am I putting it forth? Am I just throwing this bomb and walking away? Or am I thinking about this other person who's receiving the information and at least trying to not break their spirit <laughs> in the process? And if the answer is three is 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 three yeses, I say it and I let whatever happened happen because I know I have done my part. I know I have not just approached it with the spirit of hurt. I'm coming from the spirit of good and elevation, and I do it.
1: Yeah, and, I, and you need all three yeses. You, it's, it, two out of three isn't going to cut it. It seems to me. And yes. this last one, you know, are you saying it with love. I think that's really crucial because so the truth, the professional troublemaker is a truth teller, a dragon slayer, and in a sense, a beloved, a loving truth teller and a loving dragon yeah. slayer. And yeah. that I think elevates it beyond just the personal. It's not just yeah. me imposing my stuff on you. It takes it beyond the personal. And then it also makes it, I I would use the term spiritual, that it, it gives it a whole spiritual quality when we talk about love in this context.
2: Absolutely. And I think to be a human who is deeply involved in humanity is to dream of a world that feels bigger, to feel responsible for our fellow human beings. And if we want to talk about God and what that means, I am a firm believer that we were all placed here to be connected to each other. And there is no bigger form of love than action on somebody else's behalf.
1: Right. So what do you do? And I promise this will be the last question. So, you know, we live in such a bifurcated society where love for the other, and we're split, you know, and and politically and and economically and racially and all all these different ways. How do you hold on to that love when you're trying to talk to someone who is really in a, a, not just the opposite camp, but maybe the violently opposite camp?
2: Well, the thing about love is love does not mean I have to be super polite. Thoughtfully does not mean I have to be super nice because my rage is also valid as much as my, my joy is so if it's somebody on an opposing viewpoint as me, my form of love is telling them what I think, but then removing myself from the situation. You know, us all being deeply connected does not mean we have to share space, nor does it mean we have to befriend people who don't value our humanity or who won't fight for our lives. So I think love also looks like creating boundaries for yourself and then doing what you can, honoring the people who are your people, Deepening those connections, that's love. We're not responsible for everybody else's ideas and thoughts. What we are responsible is for ours and using our lives as a form of affirmation for other people to hope and see our integrity. You know, they get to see our humanity. They get to see us putting love as as a verb. And then hopefully they do the same, but we can't control other people and we're not supposed
1: to. I love the way you salvaged rage. You know, I, I think that I'm, I'm, we're going to end on that point because I think it's important that this is yes. not passive in any way. This is powerful. Yes. So I just want to make sure we've, we've underlined that. Our guest mm-hmm. today, Lovey Ajayi-Jones, is the author of the New York Times bestseller, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual. And her new book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, is reviewed by Takia Burt in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about her work on her website. She's got a lot of ways to connect with her, but awesomelyLovey.com is what I would suggest. And Lovey, if you've gotten another way to have them get in touch with you, you can put that out there now.
2: Well, you can follow me on social. I am at Lovey, L-U-V-V-I-E on all platforms. And that is where you can come see me fight fear and join me. It is a joint effort for us to be professional troublemakers in this world, and I want us to celebrate this generation of troublemakers and get new ones.
1: Amen to that. So thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health Magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Egg. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano. And our executive producer is Katherine Drury Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.